Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 85. The Brewers wrap up their 15-game stretch, make-or-break stretch, to begin the second half of the schedule, getting swept in Atlanta, but they go 8-7 and seven in that stretch. It was a tough weekend in Atlanta. The Braves proved why. They are the odds-on favorite right now to win the World Series. That lineup is relentless. We'll break down the weekend, get set for the deadline tomorrow. Brewers continue their road trip and more winnable games starting tonight in Washington. It's Packer Family Night on Saturday, everybody. Where has the summer gone? We're knocking on the door of the first preseason game next week. Camp is in full effect. We'll be discussing that a little bit, as well as Aaron Rodgers chirping back at Sean Payton. We've got a little WWF feud going on between these two, it sounds like. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's time! Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Wisconsin, record-breaking run! Morgan, a smash up the middle, base hit the center! Here comes Gomez, around third, a throw, and the Brewers win! Here's the snap, he looks, he throws, it's hard! And there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive, gets inside, leads in, knocked away and stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul, and a tentacle ball throws it down. Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there, and they're the champions. They have done it. It's been a 50-year journey. Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. Yeah, if we sum up the weekend for the Brewers in Atlanta in three words, it would be... Not great, Bob. Not great. Not great, Bob. Not ideal. Not what you wanted. I was worried about this series. You're at the end of 15 very difficult games. We talked about it at the beginning of this stretch right after the All-Star break. This 15-game stretch could make or break the year. It could determine whether you're a buyer or a seller come trade deadline time, which is tomorrow. And it was a fairly good stretch. If they get one win in Atlanta, it's a great stretch. We discussed when this started based on the level of competition and how many games were on the road and facing the best team in baseball, the Braves, six times in this 15-game stretch. It was going to be tough. When this started, I think I said on the podcast, eight and seven would be good. Seven and eight or six and nine even we could live with. And they ended eight and seven. The disappointing part is you are knocking on the door of nine and six, ten and five. If you could have won a couple of games this week in Atlanta, just one win though in Atlanta would have put you at nine and six and really having some good vibes. But when you get to the end of a stretch like that and you've got to face that Braves lineup and you have the starters the Brewers had going over the weekend, I remember after we clicked publish on the podcast on Friday, I thought to myself, looking at those matchups, this is going to be tough. Just get one. Please just get one. But I had a feeling in my gut that this was maybe going to be a bad weekend, and it turned out that way. We have a couple of spins though, spin zones, though, for you. The Brewer offense over the weekend was actually pretty good, pretty encouraging. They score seven runs on Friday. They score five on Saturday, and they score six on Sunday. For how bad it's been most of the year, that's a heck of a stretch for this offense. You have to feel a little encouraged by that. They did put runs on the board. They had some odd lineups. They're trying to just find anybody to get consistent at-bats from at the moment. They add Carlos Santana. He played on Saturday. First home run as a Brewer on Sunday. Overall, though, the offense, as good as it's looked all year, 
And when you consider who they're playing and at their place, that was an encouraging part of the weekend. The tough part was that record now when they score four runs or more, how good that record was. And it's still really good. Probably 44 and 13 now or 44 and 14. Still over an 800 winning percentage. That does take a hit this weekend, though, because they actually did score runs and they lost every game. But Yelly had a home run on Sunday. Santana had a home run on Sunday. Sunday was the tough one because they got the lead three separate times. And I wasn't super optimistic going into Sunday. Based on how Friday and Saturday went, Colin Ray on the hill facing that lineup. They did rally, though, a few times. They got the lead, then gave it up. They got the lead, and it was always the next half inning. It was always a quick drop-off. They'd get the lead, next half inning, and it's gone. Then they'd get the lead, next half inning, and it's gone. They gave it up three separate times on Sunday where you thought, no, maybe they can salvage one here. And when they had the 6-5 to lead and it was the sixth inning and you were lined up with those bullpen pieces, Milner in the sixth and Piguero in the seventh, Piamps in the eighth, hopefully you get to Williams in the ninth, that was the portion of the game where you really thought you've got your A bullpen now that you can use. It's just impossible to contain this Braves lineup. That really was emphasized over this weekend. I remember kind of thinking that a weekend ago when Atlanta was in Milwaukee. This lineup over the course of this three-game stretch, it's, (laughs) what do you do? It's a modern murderer's row. Every guy, let's just click on yesterday's box score. Every single guy, it feels like for the Braves, is hitting between 270 and 300 or better They all hit for power. They all attack. They're all aggressive. Ronald Acuna Jr. leads off hitting 335 with multiple, what does he have, 20 home runs and 50 stolen bases. They've got three guys in their everyday lineup that are going to be MVP candidates. That's how good this lineup is. If Acuna Jr. doesn't win it, Matt Olson could certainly win it. He had two home runs on Sunday and five driven in. It's just amazing watching those games this weekend and thinking, Their worst guy, the guy hitting in the nine hole for the Braves, Michael Harris II, is hitting 265 or 275 with 10 home runs. That's a middle-of-the-order guy for this Brewer team. When you look at this lineup compared to the Brewer lineup, the only two guys that can really hang, not that this is a shock, we've talked about this now for months, the only two guys in the Brewer everyday lineup that could hang in the Braves everyday lineup this year is Christian Yelich and William Contreras, and Contreras was a part of that Braves lineup last year. Other than those two guys, you would take any other of the nine everyday players for the Braves and put them in any of the spots for Milwaukee. That's how good it is. And when you're going in there with none of your A starting pitchers, it is extremely difficult. And even the elite A bullpen couldn't get it done. Yesterday, it was Milner giving up a run that tied the game. And then Piamps, who hadn't given up a run in 18 appearances, He gives up a two-run bomb to Matt Olson. Matt Olson now second in Major League Baseball in home runs. It is hard to fathom how a team is going to beat this Braves team in a best-of-five or a best-of-seven. I know know on Monday's podcast, wow, what a difference a week makes. Remember last Monday and how close all three of those games were in Milwaukee? And I said on Monday, now they can go toe-to-toe with anybody. I'm not saying I've completely lost that feeling in the span of seven days. I feel definitely different, though. I'm optimistic to a fault. I am painfully optimistic when it comes to our teams, the Brewers and the Badgers and Bucks and Packers. I will always be that way. Sometimes I wish I weren't. Sometimes I wish I wasn't that optimistic and I could go to the dark side, but I can't. I was feeling a lot better a week ago because coming out of that Brave series at Amfam Field, they could have won all three of those games. The Brewers could have. They won one. 
They were four outs away from winning the Sunday game last weekend, which would have given them the series. But all three of those games were right there for them. They were all winnable. I'm not sure I feel the same way a week later coming out of these three games. Now, on Friday, they did have a 4-3 lead. And then the Braves' offense erupted, made it 10-4. They get that three-run bomb from Toro at the end of the game to make it look more palatable, lose that game 10-7. Saturday's game was over before it started. Julio Tehran, who went on the IL after that, he had another bad start, six innings or six runs given up in the opening inning, nine runs overall. And all of a sudden, he has a hip flexor strain. (laughs) Never change, Brewers. Never, ever change. That might be the end of the road for Julio Tehran. You are going to get, it sounds like, Miley back on Wednesday. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. Brandon Woodruff has his last rehab start in Nashville on Tuesday. By the way, they did post on Twitter, I guess, on Sunday. Woodruff and Brian Anderson, who is coming back from his injury, I guess they road-tripped it together from wherever they were. They got in a car like Blues Brothers. They got in a car and road tripped it to Nashville. Need to know more about what was going on there. Need some kind of playlist that they were going with. What kind of Spotify playlist did they have up? What kind of snacks? Are we talking jerky? Are we talking combos? Are we getting slushies? They did a whole road trip. Woodruff is going to have his last rehab start in Nashville on Tuesday. If all goes well there, he is likely to join the rotation. You start to look at what the five or even six-man rotation would look like for the remainder of the year. It's hard to figure Even if Tehran gets healthy by the middle part of August or the late part of August, it's hard to fathom him factoring in. What a run it was, though. Ultimately, he makes how many starts? Nine starts or ten starts, and six of them were really good, and four were not good. Saturday, they were out of that game before it started. They battled back. You just can't get down six to nothing to a team like that in the first inning on the road. And then Sunday was back and forth. Sunday's game was a lot more like one of last weekend's games where the Brewers had a couple of leads, a couple of things go their way, maybe they could win that. I definitely do feel a tad different this Monday recording this podcast than I did last Monday. It's just hard to figure when you look at any team in the NL, not just the Brewers who have good pitching. Didn't show it this weekend, but they do have good pitching. It's hard to wrap your mind around any staff in the NL or in Major League Baseball that's going to be able to contain that lineup in a pressure playoff situation for nine innings, hold them to two runs or three runs, I don't know how you're going to do it. Acuna into Albies into Riley into Olsen into Murphy, who could be an MVP candidate, into Ozuna, who's got 22 home runs, into Rosario, who's got 20 home runs. Arce is having an all-star year. He's batting 300. I just, it's just difficult to envision how somebody is going to put the wraps on an offense that is that good. That's a modern-day murderer's row. I'm trying to think, even in my baseball viewing life, I remember in the early 2000s, those Cardinals lineups where you had Pujols and Jim Edmonds and Scott Rowland, their three through seven was always so fearsome, and the Brewer pitching in that time frame was not good either. I just remember teams like that where you felt like two through or one through five or two through six or two through seven, you didn't get a break. But eventually you got a break. This lineup has zero breaks. No breaks, sir, in this lineup. And you had the Brewers throwing three guys that are not going to be able to match up with an offense like that. That is actually one thing that I feel good about coming out of the weekend. I feel good about the offense, which we talked about. They finally scored some runs. And I do feel good about... The Brewers are not going to have those matchups. If these two teams meet in the playoffs, the Brewers are not starting Adrian Hauser, Julio Tehran, or Colin Ray in any of those games. 
all three of those guys at best are four or five starters, five starters, or six starters, you're never going to have them in a best of five, best of seven, whatever. They won't be in a best of three with them. Best of five or best of seven, you will not have any of those guys starting. It was the bottom of the Brewer starting pitching against maybe the best offense that we've seen in baseball in 20 or 30 years. Not an ideal matchup. Hauser tried to hang in there, couldn't really. As we said, Tehran got rocked, and he may be done. And Colin Ray, who's kept them in a lot of games, they were 11-7, and and Colin Ray starts going into Sunday. They come out 11-8. and He has given them a puncher's chance in a lot of the games that he has started, and every once in a while he'll throw you a seven-inning one-run or six-inning two-run kind of game, which you love. Just not the kind of stuff that can contain that offense. But that does make me feel better. When you get to a playoff situation, it's going to be – Burns, who has not pitched against the Braves this year, didn't pitch last weekend and didn't pitch this weekend against the Braves, it'll be a guy like Corbin Burns or Woodruff or Miley or Freddie Peralta. Those would be the guys starting those games. I'm not saying those guys are going to even be able to get out there and give you seven innings of no-run ball for as good as Burns has been recently. Could even he go toe-to-toe with this lineup and give you six innings of one-run ball? I don't really know. They give you a better chance, though. A lot of these games with the matchups just didn't feel like they were equal, like you were on equal footing with the Braves, given the starting pitching against that type of a lineup. That does give me a little bit of encouragement, though, when you look to the future, if the Brewers do end up in a playoff series against this team. The starting pitching matchups are going to look a lot better. I don't envision, I think the Braves batted 406 over the weekend. (laughs) Is that good? That was their total batting average against Brewer pitching. I don't see that happening against Burns, Woodruff, Miley, or Peralta. Not to say they can't get hit around. I mean, that's how good that lineup is. They could take a Cy Young Award winner and put four or five runs on him. I just don't see what happened this weekend happening in a potential playoff series when the Brewers can line up their pitching and put better starters out there than what we saw this past weekend. Now, you come out of the weekend, what's the overall record? 57-49. and You do have to tip your cap to the Reds. The Brewers have owned the Reds. You're almost upset right now if you're a Brewer fan that there are no more Reds games on the schedule. They're 10-3 and against the Reds. That's what's been able to keep the Brewers in first place up until yesterday. The Reds go to L.A. and they win a series at Dodger Stadium. Combined with the Brewers getting swept, that puts the Reds back in first place by half a game. They've played one more game. The loss column is even, right? Let me make sure I actually get that right. I think the loss column is even. Yeah, they both have 49 losses. The Reds have played one more game, and they won that extra game. They are back in first place. The Brewers right now lead a wild card spot. Remember, three teams get in in this new era of the wild card, but you've got the Phillies lurking. They are the odd team out right now, but they're only a half game back and one less game played, and even in the loss column with the Brewers, that's going to be a tight mess too. That's how things stand right now. Half game out of first place in the division. A half game up for one of the three wild card spots as we enter play today. You do have to give credit where credit is due, though. The Reds went on the road and won. The good news is, starting today, the Reds and Cubs play. The Cubs are red hot. The Cubs may be buyers. The deadline is tomorrow. It looked like they may be selling off guys like Cody Bellinger or Marcus Stroman or any one of their really good starting pitchers this year. They have rallied. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10. They finally lost on Sunday against St. Louis. That ended an eight-game winning streak. They're above 500. they They're only four games back. It seems like they're maybe going to be buyers now before tomorrow afternoon's deadline on Tuesday. They're four back. Brewers a half game back. The Reds and Cubs play each other starting today in Chicago. Four games set. Ideal scenario, 2-2. Two and two. That's what you want if you're a Brewer fan. I don't know that you want – well, I don't know. It's one of those debates where – 
if the Reds beat the Cubs four times, that put that takes one team out. If one team beats the other team in all four games and sweeps the four-game series, that likely moves one team out of the way. Do you prefer that, or do we want them to beat up on each other for one team to win two games, the other team wins two games, and if the Brewers can capitalize on a weaker schedule, they could get back in first place and maybe get in first place by a game or two once that four-game set is up. Just based on where we are in the year, and there's still two full months to go, I think you want them to beat up on each other. In a four-game set, which starts today at Wrigley, you'd love to see them split that four-game set, and you hope the Brewers are going to be able to cash in on an easier schedule, which does start today. We set up the end of this 15-game stretch. There are more winnable games on the way, although I did have a texter on the B93 morning show, which was true. I was talking out the year about how the schedule gets weaker. You play the last place Nationals starting today. Then you play the last place Pirates for four at home. Then you play the last place Rockies for three at home. Then you play the second to last place White Sox on the road in Chicago. That team is really a last place team. The problem is the Royals are so bad in the AL Central. They're preventing the White Sox from being in last place. That's the next stretch of games. That is a 13-game stretch basically against last place teams. And teams that I would think are selling before tomorrow's deadline. The Washington team that the Brewers play tonight may look a lot different for game two of the series on Tuesday. The Pittsburgh team that comes to Milwaukee on Thursday could look a lot different. The Rockies team could certainly look a lot different next week, Monday. White Sox are already selling, and a White Sox may become a Brewer, hopefully before tomorrow. We'll discuss that in a second. They're going to be sellers. All four of those teams are last place teams, and all of them, I would imagine, are going to be selling off whatever successful parts they have left. My guess is they will be selling those off before tomorrow's deadline. This is a stretch you've got to take care of business in. Now, baseball's quirky, and that texter on the B93 Morning Show said, after I said more winnable games, said, hey, John, let's not forget the Oakland A's came to AmFam Field and swept the Brewers this year, and the Brewers went to Colorado, who they've got coming up in this stretch, and got swept two of the worst teams in baseball, and the Brewers are 0-6 against them. That is a fair point. That was a fair point. I had kind of forgotten about that A's series. I think I men in black neuralized myself of that A's series. And I definitely forgot about the Rocky series. That was a long time ago. But that is true. This is why baseball is such a quirky sport. You get through this 15-game stretch against really quality teams. You go 8-7. and seven, And now from a fan perspective... You take a breath and say, okay, now we've got some games we should win. But baseball's weird, man. Baseball's one of those sports. It's not like football where you've got a first-place team taking on a team that's 3-9 and nine in Week 13, and it's in all likelihood going to end up with that first-place team winning a game by a couple of touchdowns. That's not how baseball works. Bad teams get hot randomly. Pitching goes by the wayside randomly. Baseball is, to me, the most random sport. So, yes, these are games hopefully they'll be able to win at a good clip. You just never know. But you have to take advantage of these. I do remember saying coming out of the A series, if they miss the playoffs, if the Brewers do miss the playoffs or they miss out on winning the division by a game or two, those are the series that you're going to want back. The getting swept at home by Oakland or getting swept in Colorado or if you lose games in this stretch, those are the games you look to. You don't cry too much over the getting swept in Atlanta against one of the best teams in baseball that features one of the best lineups we've seen in a long, long time. Not going to lose too much sleep over that. Those are the kinds of losses where if you're not in the playoffs or you get roadblocked by a game, you think, God, if you could have beaten the A's twice or you could have beaten the Nationals a couple times, you'd be in. Got to cash in starting tonight, and you've got your guys now. Corbin Burns is on the hill tonight. Freddie Peralta tomorrow. You get Wade Miley back on Wednesday. 
I do sort of love the grittiness of Wade Miley. Miley went on the IL, and I figured he'd need at least a rehab start. McAlvey tweeted on Sunday that he was basically strong-arming the Brewer medical staff to let him right back into the rotation. I don't know how long he's even been out, 10 days? Has it been 10 days or a week or two weeks? Somewhere in there. It's borderline. Most trainers in baseball will tell you if you're out for a couple of weeks, you probably need one tune-up rehab start just to make sure everything's okay, A, and B, to make sure you get your arm ready for a Major League Baseball matchup. But he successfully successfully won whatever campaign he was on there to get right back in the rotation. He'll be on the hill on Wednesday. He's been so good when he's been healthy this year. That's how things line up against the last place Nationals. Hauser goes against the Pirates on Thursday. Colin Ray on Friday. And maybe you're going to see the return of Woodruff this weekend. If Woodruff has a good start on Tuesday and there's no ill effects, and so far in his first two rehab starts he has not had any of that, If he's good to go after Tuesday, we would find out then Wednesday in Washington if he's ready to rock and get back in the starting rotation. He would likely slot in. Boy, where would they put him? Because it lines up now where you've got Burns and Peralta this weekend. You're not going to rearrange that. And then you've got Miley on Monday. Maybe you put him in on Monday and then push Miley back a day, give him an extra day. I don't know who you take out. I would guess, well, Hauser or Ray are going to get taken out when Woodruff comes back. I don't know who you take out. It's a coin flip. That's where I think they would slot in Woodruff, either Sunday or Monday, and then push Miley back a day. Hopefully that's how things go this week. This is the week, though, to start to gain some ground. This is a 13-game stretch through next Sunday, and I'm going to some of those White Sox games. I'm going to be there next Friday. I've never been to Comiskey or whatever they call it now, guaranteed rate. I will be there on Friday and Saturday for those games. If you can come out of this 13-game stretch, you'd love to be 10-3 and or something like that. Realistically, if you go 8-5 and five or 9-4 and four in this stretch, you're going to lose games. That's a good, solid 13-game run where you can get yourself 13 or 14 games over 500 and really position yourself well. Trade deadline is tomorrow. They picked up Carlos Santana. We talked about that on Friday's podcast. He had an immediate impact on Sunday with a home run and a superb defensive play as well. We discussed that on Friday, how elite his defense is. That was showcased right away. Also, he is hitting in that three-hole. I was texting with a buddy back and forth when they got Santana on Friday, speculating that that's where they would put him because Adamas has been so bad. They do move Adamas down to the five hole. He is in a rough spot again. It looked like he was coming out of it. He was, what, batting a little under 200. Then he had a good two weeks where he got that average up to about 215. He was popping some home runs. We're right back to it, though, now. He's right back to hovering around 200, looking lost, striking out a ton. That low outside breaking ball has got his brain in a pretzel. He swings at every low outside breaking ball. He's way out in front of it. His front foot is way ahead of where it needs to be. He's starting the bat too early, trying to cheat, and it's just not working out. This is something we haven't seen from Willie. This is what Willie kind of looked like in Tampa before he came to Milwaukee in 2021. It seemed like the change of scenery just changed the whole complexion for Willie. Once he got to Ampham Field, there were all those stories of his time in Tampa where he couldn't hit because that stadium is a dungeon. The lighting is bad. The reflection off the roof. He got to Ampham Field in 2021 and said how much he loved it, how much better the batter's eye is. He can pick up the baseball better, and he proved it. He hit 285 in 2021 with power. Last year, we saw the average dip to 237. But power was even better. 35 bombs and almost 100 runs driven in. Set the shortstop record for home runs. We've taken another average regressive step, though, from 285 to 237 last year, all the way down to 202 this year. And he is mired in a bad, bad slump right now. 
I don't know that you take him out of the lineup. I know some Brewers fans have been talking on Twitter about you need to give him a rest or bench him. Phantom injury? Can we phantom injury Willie Adamas at this point in the year? It might be too critical with two months left. You just hope he gets out of it offensively. He still gives you so much with the glove, gold glove caliber shortstop defense. For that reason, I don't think you can mess with it. If he was an, a mediocre defender or only an adequate defender and he's doing what he's doing at the plate, then you have more tangible conversations of would you put Terang over there for a while or do you call someone up or do you make a move? He's so good defensively, it's hard to take him out of the lineup. That's the first sign, though, that we've seen from counsel and from the front office that they are aware of how bad Adamas has been dropping him after they picked up Santana. If they pick up another middle-of-the-order bat, you're probably looking at Adamas hitting in the seven hole, I would think. We'll see what happens between now and tomorrow. There are rumors that the Brewers are in talks with the White Sox to try to bring in Eloy Jimenez. Jimenez was conspicuously or unconspicuously, conspicuously absent in the Sunday lineup for the White Sox, even though he's healthy. That's been the knock on him for most of his career. He always puts up numbers. He very rarely stays healthy. Let's just crank up his career stats here. When he is healthy and he can play right field, you don't really want him out there. He sort of reminds me of Manny Ramirez in left or right field. You had to live with that back in the day if you were the Red Sox, but – Any fly ball hit to left field when Manny was out there was one, if you were a Red Sox fan, where you were holding your breath. Eloy Jimenez is sort of the same deal in right field. Nelson Cruz was that way for a while in Texas, too, where his bat was so good that you tried to force him out there defensively once in a while. He has only played over 100 games in his career one time. That was in 2019. He's a right-handed bat. He's 26 years old. He's a middle-of-the-order guy. This year, he is hitting 285. He hit 295 last year. He had 13 or 16 home runs last year in only 84 games, 13 home runs this year in only 71 games. His OPS is over 800. This is what I'm talking about. When we talked about they need a decent bat and an impact bat, I still think Carlos Santana is a decent bat. That was a decent get. This would be an impact middle-of-the-order bat. He likely DHs. I don't know what that means for Rowdy then. Rowdy might get trade deadlined out of a roster spot at this point. We thought, okay, Rowdy will have DH at bats because Santana now is going to be your everyday first baseman or almost everyday first baseman. If they pick up a guy like Jimenez, I guess there will be days where Jimenez will be in right field and you'll just hold your breath. And then maybe Rowdy gets him at bats. If they pick up a guy like this, though, I don't know where Rowdy's at bats will come from because Eloy, to me, 85% of the time would be the DH middle of the order. This would be a big get. You hope he would stay healthy. He's actually under contract longer than this year. He's probably owed a couple million yet on this year's deal. Next year, he would be on the team for sure unless you trade him for $13 million for next year. And then he's got two more years after that, but there are club options where if you pay $3 million, you're out of it. They could get out of the second part of that deal. You would be acquiring, though, a power middle-of-the-order bat that you could have if you wanted to beyond just this year. And like I just said, he was out of the lineup on Sunday, and the way the White Sox are dealing, guys, and with where they are on the standings, they may be looking at retooling completely, do a whole Merv Griffin unplug, retool, and rebuild. Keep an eye on uh, the different guys on Twitter, Rosenthal and all, Nightingale and the whole, Jeff Passan, all those guys are going to have the rumors here before the deadline tomorrow afternoon. That would be a big get, though. You'd love to get that. doesn't have to be Jimenez, but you'd love to get a player like that, and I would guess a bullpen arm. You'd love to have one more bullpen arm. For as good as the A bullpen has been, they've also been used a lot. 
And you just never know with those bullpen arms when something is going to go awry or someone's going to blow a tire or someone ends up on the IL. If you want to be a true contender for the division title and hopefully put yourself in a spot where you can win big playoff series, impact bats and a bullpen arm would be good before the deadline wraps up on Tuesday. I don't know what you'd give up to get it. Jackson Churio is absolutely raking in double A. They moved him up to double A. He scuffled a bit for a week or two. If you look at his stats at double A in the last three weeks, it's unbelievable. His player comparison is Ronald Acuna Jr. And you cannot trade if you're a small market team. That's the one guy to me you can't trade. Him or Mizorowski, their number one pitching prospect. I know Sal Felix's name's been out there. If you get the right guy, I really don't want to give him up. If you get the right guy, though, that could push you toward a World Series, would you give up Freelich? You can't do anything with Churio, though. Churio is going to be in Nashville, I would think, before the end of this year. Churio may be in Major League Baseball next year. Most baseball people and most Brewer people thought he was still one full year in the minors next year. I don't know. The way he's hitting double-A pitching after adjusting after a week or two, again, I think he'll be in Nashville at some point this year. If he hits in Nashville at the end of this year, He'll start in Nashville next year. It's going to be hard to keep him there, though. If he hits in AAA Nashville early part of next year, it'll be very difficult to keep him there and not bring him up at 20 years old or 21 years old. He'll be next year 20 years old, I think. That, to me, is one guy that you can't give up. Beyond that, I feel like everybody's on the table. I really do. Him or Mizorowski, I wouldn't do. I think I'd hang on to Freelick. It would have to be quite a get to give up a guy like Freelick in a trade package based on what we've seen from him already in his week up at the Major League level. Those are the kind of names that are thrown out there, though, and if you are reading the other side of the trades where if you're a White Sox fan, those are the guys they want if they're going to trade one of those big bats like Eloy Jimenez. We'll see what they do. It's going to be an interesting next 24 hours for the Brewers as they get set for the Nationals tonight in Washington. I do have to play this clip. We mentioned it in the <laughs> in the opener. Aaron Rodgers. So Sean Payton is something you really don't do in any workplace, but especially in the NFL, is you criticize other head coaches if you're a head coach or other players if you're a player. We all know Nathaniel Hackett's one year in Denver was an unmitigated disaster. They hire Sean Payton, and then Sean Payton last week did an interview where he basically said this whole thing was a disaster. Everybody last year was culpable. Russell Wilson still has it, even though there were rumors that he didn't or he was falling apart. He basically threw all of the blame for Russell Wilson's bad year at the feet of Nathaniel Hackett and that coaching staff. He called it one of the worst coaching jobs ever in the NFL. And we're talking about a, a close fraternity, coaches and assistant coaches. That's Those are guys that normally look out for each other. I've never heard of a head coach being that outspoken about another coaching staff that is still in the league. Well, Aaron Rodgers caught wind of that. They were talking to him before a Jets practice, and he had a, a threat for Sean so Payton. bad that someone who's accomplished a lot in the league is that insecure that they have to take another man down to set themselves up for some sort of easy fall if it doesn't go well for that team this year? thought it was way out of line and appropriate, and I think he needs to keep uh, my coach's names out of his mouth. Keep my name out your mouth. Aaron Rodgers. The next time Aaron Rodgers and Sean Payton meet up. You're saying you want a piece of me? I could drop you like a bag of dirt. You want a piece of me? You got it! 
very unusual. You don't see that a whole lot at the NFL level. That was another headline for Rodgers. Rodgers stays in the headlines. You cannot knock him for that. Say what you want about him. He always keeps his name in the headlines. We're going to get episode one of Hard Knocks. It sounds like next week, Tuesday. God, last day of July today. Next week, Tuesday the 8th sounds like episode one of Hard Knocks. I don't know if that interview had anything to do with Hard Knocks. That seemed like it was just a local Jets pregame show or a TV interview. Well, he had some things to say. Packer training camp rolls on today. Jordan loves making passes. He's missing passes. Every pass is being reported on. Some of them he hits, some of them he doesn't. It does seem to me, I forget who had the tweet. It was either Schneidman, one of those guys, one of the Packer beat reporters that they produce in a lab somewhere. It seemed like most agreed that he got better every day. Jordan Love got better every day. What does that mean for what kind of a year he's going to have? I don't know, but you love to see improvement, right, from the guy who's in there. He's taking the snaps now. He's the guy. It sounds like he's getting better every day. It sounds like Romeo Dobbs is having a very good camp. They're calling him, quote, unguardable at the moment. He was the of the two rookies last year. It was a weird year for a lot of reasons. Remember back to the beginning of the year, though, even though Watson was the higher draft pick, it felt like most of the momentum in training camp last year in the preseason and then for the first half of the year revolved around how good Romeo Dobbs was and Watson was injured during that time. That led to more Dobbs headlines, and he had a couple really good games. Then he got hurt. Watson came back. Watson lit the world on fire in the last eight weeks when he was healthy. Nine touchdowns, right, or eight touchdowns, and the speed we saw from Watson was so elite. Then he sort of was the guy everybody was talking about from that draft class. Now it seems we're back to Dobbs. Not that Watson's having a bad camp so far, but it sounds like Romeo Dobbs took the offseason seriously and came back in elite shape and has a good knowledge now of the playbook and the routes he's running, and it's very hard to defend him, I guess, at the moment. That is all good news. One little bit of Twitter news that I thought was interesting. Molly Crosby, Mason Crosby's wife, did an interview with some magazine and talking about Mason's time in the NFL and talking about how awesome Green Bay was for them, how much fun they had, how it's a hidden gem, how any free agent that goes there is going to love that city. And she talked about it very retrospectively. I, I don't have any information to back up what I'm about to say, but that's never stopped me before. I don't think Mason's done in Green Bay. I don't know. The Packers have been very careful about, when they've been asked about this, about moving on from Mason, about saying definitively that that run is over. Molly Crosby has been on Twitter a lot in the last two months, more than I can ever remember. I met Molly. When when Mason was doing segments with us, they all came to the building. They couldn't be nicer people. She has been talking a lot on Twitter about it being over. That clearly means to me that Mason feels like it's over. I don't know. The rookie Carlson, is it Anders or Anders? Anders Carlson, he's got a big leg, 70% at Auburn last year. You know, college kicking, it's a crapshoot. 70% isn't great. 70% would not cut it in the NFL. If you're kicking 70% in the NFL over the course of four or five or six weeks or you get to the midway point of the season and he's 65 to 70%, that's not a guy you hang on to. And he had a really bad practice on Thursday, maybe. Not one practice doesn't make a whole career, but he missed his first three, then he was one of three, and then he might have been three of three. It was just not good. Not a good start to camp for Carlson. And it just keeps on making me think back to how careful the Packers have been about not disconnecting un- disconnecting Mason Crosby's controller. They're keeping that just real close to the Xbox or the PlayStation or whatever it is now. I don't know. They're going to see how things go with Carlson. I bet Carlson's going to get the first two preseason games. There are only three now. 
he'll get a chance in camp and in those first two games to prove himself. If he continues to have bad practices and he's missing kicks in preseason games, maybe you bring in, I'm sure they have more than just him right now, maybe you bring in one other guy to compete with him, but you've got to believe that Goody's phone has Mason Crosby saved on speed dial for the end of August, where if this is still a problem, to offer Mason whatever, two and a half or three million or whatever it takes to come back on a one-year deal. I don't know. Just just based on what I'm reading about Carlson so far, and again, not to write him off, based on what I've seen so far, it just leads me to believe that maybe the Crosby era is not done yet in Green Bay. Practice continues this week. Family night on Saturday. It's just amazing we're that far down the line in the first preseason game coming up next weekend. Okay, on Friday, we will have a lot to talk about. We'll be breaking down what the Brewers did or did not do at the deadline tomorrow. And they'll have played four more games since then. And the Reds and Cubs series will be wrapped up. We'll be discussing all that. We'll get set for family night on Saturday. Have a happy, safe work week. We'll chat with you then.